you're not going to stick around for a speech. <laughs> like you're just going to stab them, right? Like that that moment has passed. I don't have to give you a chance at redemption. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I hate monologues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Outer Plains in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 239 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on playing non-human races with the second planes touched, Asimar. But first, the party fights what it can't see in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Earth Angel ensures all dogs go to heaven in the Character Creation Forge. So are we calling them Asimar or Azimar? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know, people. Is there a canonical pronunciation? Asimar? Azimar? Are we pronouncing both A's? I don't know. This is (laughs) made up words. This is my my, uh, Asimar character, Lloyd. (laughs) Well, I know where I can find your character, Ishan. It's on D&D Beyond. Oh, yeah? That's because I input uh, my character on there so that I can access it from anywhere that I happen to have access to my phone, which is literally everywhere. Yep, because D&D Beyond is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. You can use D&D Beyond to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. Plus, there's also lots of awesome content for free, like the D&D Basic Rules, and articles from writers like James Shahak, and videos from people like Todd Kenrick. And the team is always updating the site to fix bugs, add new features, and make it easier to use. I was on a Reddit thread the other day uh, when someone was like, you know what I really wish D&D Beyond had? A mobile app. And then uh, one of the developers like dropped right into the thread and was like, hey, uh, yeah, we're probably working on that. But just so you know, we uh, didn't prioritize that because people have told us that using the mobile site works just as well as an app. And I have to agree. Yeah, I think it might be better than most apps, actually. (laughs) Yeah, no load time. I just open it in my browser. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like similar enough to the desktop experience that it's very easy to navigate. It's not like two weird interfaces. Right. All right. So check it out at dndbeyond.com. All right. So, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the insular city of Vedikir, the party is chasing a killer. Now, while the party was searching for the person who did kill their wartime companion, Ephraim de Orion, they are following the only lead that they actually have. On Ephraim's body, it was sort of coated with this fine black dust charged with negative energy. Yeah, Maybaran dust, if you will. Yeah, and the party has put their heads together and built a kind of divining rod that should be able to track more of this substance. Yeah, so we follow this trail through the city uh, to a large storehouse in the warehouse district. And it's early morning. There's no one around. So what do we do? We break in. Of course. Of course you do. Uh, There's a small office off to the side near the door. Uh, You make quick work of the lock, get inside, and start looking through the papers. Um, And it looks like this whole warehouse is just filled with crates with flour, ale, other non-perishable goods, things like that. Uh, However, inside the warehouse, it is completely dark. But since most of the party has dark vision, nobody really cares. And you start creeping along quietly to investigate. So 
up on a high scaffolding, Warden is speared through the side by something he cannot see and pulled two stories to the ground. Uh, and then whatever it is jumps on top of him and stabs him again before completely disappearing. This is extremely disconcerting because you can see in the dark, right? So mm-hmm. you can see your surroundings, you can see the crates, you can see the ceiling, you just cannot see whatever is stabbing you. Mm-hmm. So Lenore and Zan then rush in to try to help, but they can't see anything either. And then they end up getting speared from behind or from the side and then pulled two stories into the air, stabbed a little bit more, and then just released and dropped unceremoniously back down to the ground. So Bramble, sweet level-headed Bramble, heads to the office to open some of the shutters on the top level, uh, letting daylight into this uh, dark warehouse, and then leaps into the fray where he and Decimus are likewise attacked. So Decimus the Artificer decides, you know what, let's shed a little light on the situation, and he casts light on his Warhammer. And in the glow, the magical glow, the party gets the first glimpse of their foe. It is a massive... 11-foot-tall amalgam of undead creatures. It has shiny, smooth, black skin stretched around um, an elongated head. It has these thick, protruding ribs, and its legs are made of gray, rotting flesh. And its hands are segmented, extending claws of bone. This sounds like an undead xenomorph. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) So Decimus tries to read its thoughts, and uh, rather than hearing anything useful, all he hears is, must drink. So I think Warden gets tired of this. He uh, turns into a bear because he is a druid. And then, and then what do you do? Because no, no one else has seen this yet. Uh, yeah, then I reveal my fey heritage. Uh, <laughs> sprouting dragonfly wings, um, ethereal spectral dragonfly wings, and flying up to maul this creature as an angry flying bear. Because this hadn't come out in, in play yet. You were actually playing mechanically an awesome are and we were calling it a half a yes but otherwise i mean like uh like you do you know just presented as a human right exactly yes of course uh, an attractive human hmm. so the shutters on the top floor finally open and this undead creature shrinks away from the sunlight and now that they can see it and it can't disappear and it can't hide from them the party makes pretty short work of it just basically everyone crowding around it and stabbing it to death they search the tattered remains of the clothes on the corpse, which reveal it as Corporal Sien, one of the missing Ondarians. So naturally, we burn the body and then return to the Marrow's Mead to lay low, hoping that nobody has witnessed this battle. And in the meantime, they uh, break into Ephraim's room just a few doors down at the inn late in the night, hoping to find more information. But all they're able to discover is a cache beneath the floorboard which contains a signet ring for House Orion, ID papers for one Ephraim de Orion, and platinum script worth just enough for each of them to pocket about 100 gold pieces. So convenient of him to carry his gold around in 7x increments. Huh, interesting. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So Shane, this was a good segue. Uh, You were basically playing an Asimar in Gates of Morning, and here we are talking about Asimar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Asimar, Azimar, Azimar, however you want to pronounce them, uh, we will probably use some combination of the three. Uh, They are, of course, the descendants of humanoids and angels. They're basically the divine version of tieflings. Uh, I think you mean they're basically the divine version of Genasi, Shane. Well, okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) 
And, and so this isn't like a, a half celestial, right? You don't have one parent who's an angel and one parent who's a humanoid. Uh, it just means that there is a divine being somewhere way back in, in your lineage that sort of pops up occasionally. Right. Um, and so since angels tend to look more human than fiends, um, angelic blood tends to manifest with a little more subtlety, right? Like you're usually identified as Azamar by like otherworldly perf- perfection and beauty, not by like your horns and hooves and faint smell of brimstone. In the 5e art, you see Azamar with like literally radiant qualities, like your eyes are glowing or, you know, your hair is moving a little bit, but there doesn't really seem to be a breeze around. Yeah. Or like you get the, um, you know, like your hair isn't blonde. It's almost gold, right? right? Like mm-hmm. it's just like, like hyper-realistic humanity kind of thing. Sun elves. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, in a world <laughs> where that's a thing, <laughs> like what's, what's the difference? Uh, I think either way, by virtue of their divine blood, uh, the the kind of the, the quality of Azamar that's important is that they're born to be the champions of the heavens, right? Like their their mortal blood is what complicates them, uh, because not every Azamar manages to be that kind of divine champion. All right, so let's talk about a little bit about the history of the race itself. This is one of the three plain touched races from Planescape itself: uh, Tieflings, Genasi, and Asamar. Yeah, so you mentioned it. Tieflings are, of course, um, touched by fiends. Genasi, touched by elementals. And Azamar, touched by uh, celestials. Right, because in the Planescape tradition, you needed to have every permutation of everything based on its alignment or its tie to one of the outer planes. <laughs> right, and then in true AD&D uh, tradition, only the Tieflings appeared in the second edition uh, Planescape campaign setting. <laughs> right, uh, to perhaps negative effect... Uh, for tiefling fanatics go back and listen to the tiefling episode uh you, you could do a lot of random stuff with them literally random rolling on tables etc okay so this is interesting so uh genasi and azamar later appeared in the second edition planewalkers handbook uh that was in uh 1996 that was a, a planescape supplement uh written by bonnie cook um and it did have uh, similar tables, except they were just less fun. It was yep. like, what color eyes do you want? What color hair do you want? Like, what, no random immunity to all non-silvered weapons? <laughs> right. <laughs> so from the jump, they were left out of the campaign setting, which had to have hurt their popularity some. And then also, they were just less fun than the thing in the campaign setting when they finally did get their book. Now, like Tieflings, they did show up in 3rd edition. Uh, There, they were in the Monster Manual as an NPC race, and then the Forgotten Realms campaign setting had them as a playable race with a plus one level adjustment. Uh, Cut to 4th edition. They don't exist. Uh, They got replaced by Devas. Which then got this lore that tied them into Rakshasas, where like they're sort of two sides of the same coin and whatever, and you can become a Rakshasa if you're a bad deva and a, you can become a deva if you're a good rakshasa it's complicated mm-hmm. um don't worry those devas are going to stick around in fifth edition they're just <laughs> but we do get our asmr back of course um so first they appeared in fifth edition in the dmg as the example of the build your own race uh and then they were released in volo's guide to monsters with three variants uh four players protector scourge and fallen asmr and then we got a, sort of a new bit of lore about them. Uh, each of them now has an angelic guide, which is a divine entity that gives guidance through dreams and visions. This is basically the GM's ability to um, point your Ozimar character in whatever direction they see fit. 
Yeah, and those angelic guides are, of course, devas. So it all comes full circle. Right, who are now in 5th edition actual literal CR10 angels. Right. <laughs> um, I think what's what's interesting here is like kind of throughout history of Azamar, right? Like they're kind of typecast as the goody two-shoes, like boring Mary Sue, born to do good and nothing else. Um, what's interesting in 5th edition by adding those angelic guides is it's kind of more acknowledging like, yes, you are a mortal. Yes, you are a human. Like, yes, you have all of those flaws. You aren't naturally just going to be that way. So if you want to be good, you have a helper, right? You have somebody to like kind of give you guidance through your dreams and visions to make sure you're standing as that paragon of virtue rather than falling into, you know, normal mortal mediocrity and chaos. Yeah, these days, Asamar are are really placed as sort of humanoid first, you might have like a tendency to be good or kind, but it all could also just manifest itself as like a very strong conscience, um, which may or may not actually affect the way that you act. So you could just be like a normal kind of crappy cut purse, but just feel bad about it all the time. Right. So, and that might be you, of course, but that doesn't mean that the world around you has changed their perception of who you are. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about some reasons to play Asimar. So the first one, you can just play it straight, right? You might want to be an icon of inspiration and hope for everybody that you meet. You, you just say, hey, it's pretty obvious that I am touched by some sort of like a good divine being. And when people meet me, they go, hey, you, you're a champion of goodness and I like it. Right. Like <laughs> I was I was born to be good and here I am just doing the thing I was born to do. And you know what? I think maybe those of us who grew up in the 90s are like, uh, that sounds so boring. But but. It actually can be really refreshing to play an entire campaign where you're like, I know what hooks I'm picking up. I know what I'm here to do. Hey, look, we walk into this room. You're a bad guy. You're a bad guy. You're a good guy. Everybody knows what's up. Let's go. We are not getting confused about this stuff. Uh, I stabbed that guy. Yeah, I stabbed that guy. Great. Let's do this. Yeah, like I spent my whole childhood trying to play against type and I play my whole adulthood just leaning into the type. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make this easy for everybody. <laughs> like I, I deal with too many people in my day to day that are trying to go against type. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But you don't have to do that. No, of course. Uh, you might want to play an Asimar because you want to struggle with the burden of being that icon, right? Like you aren't an angel. You aren't actually divine. Um there's a cost to constantly doing good. Um, so if you are that sort of born to be good person, how do you deal with moral dilemmas? Like how do those weigh upon your soul as you have to make tough choices? Um, and like, what does that say about you? Right? Like, do you want to struggle with the idea that maybe like, because you're facing a dilemma in this situation, because you don't know the answer, maybe you aren't inherently better than other mortals. Yeah. I like, that obviously there is like the the scourge Asimar, the edgelord Asimar, right? Who's just like, oh, this is such a burden, but I guess I'll have to uh, protect the weak or whatever. But I do like uh, the the idea that like you're trying to do really good, like you're trying to do good works, but the bar is perfection, at least for other people when they're looking at you. And so right. every tiny mistake is just like, wait, really? Like you couldn't save everyone in the village? Right. <laughs> Like you save 99 people, but all anybody cares about is the one kid who died. I can only fly for one minute a day. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I flew into that burning building <laughs> just 10 times in 10 rounds. <laughs> what do you want from me? 
don't pack the children in the orphanage so dense if it's so flammable. Can I talk to you about a welfare state, okay? <laughs> I, I think that touches on something that's important, though, right? Is like you might just be judged more harshly for the mistakes that you make, or people just expect more of you than they do of others. And that's a burden. You know, like that, that weighs on a person going through life for 160 some odd years. Right. Uh, we didn't give you a reward for saving our town. We assumed you wouldn't need one. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I really could use better armor, though. Fine. <laughs> fine. Whatever. Right. Whatever. <laughs> we'll kill a bad guy and loot him. Right. So I paid you to save your town. Cool. 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 <laughs> Oh, we're playing a game where you have to pay money to repair your gear. Crap. <laughs> you can also play an Asimar where you literally want to fall from grace. You want to be that pinnacle or that paragon, and then your arc actually takes you down. Or you put that in your past and you want to recover from it, right? You want either the downswing or the upswing. And this can actually be really useful in maybe like a 3.5 game or something where there are actual mechanical penalties for, say, like a paladin who veers off a path in any way. There aren't really um, short-term penalties for an Asimar who who goes astray. So you can play that without totally screwing up your entire build. Right. Or, you know, build a fallen and, and just stop being terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but still have your terrible scary powers exactly <laughs> um you might also want to play an azamar because you want your conscience to literally float along beside you and you know talk to you with the gm's voice every once in a while yeah like if you like the idea of the angel on one shoulder and actually no devil on the other shoulder just an angel who's either tisk tisking or or really is maybe just a cheerleader it's like hey you know what you're doing a great job you're i'm glad you're working on this yeah <laughs> Hey, better today than you were yesterday. That's all we can ask. Yeah, maybe chew your food a little more thoroughly. Okay, get a little more sleep. But, you know, <laughs> you're getting there. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's the aesthetic aspect. Maybe you just want to play a character with beautiful golden or silver hair and perfect white teeth and friggin' angel wings. So, cool, Azamar does it for you. Yeah. Of course, you know, I'm over here playing my moon elf with overtone, but... <laughs> I guess you get wings, whatever. Filter applied. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about those wings. Um, physiology of an Asimar. In 5th edition, they get plus 2 to charisma. All Asimar are in some way uncommonly beautiful and likable. M maybe that is because they have a fearsome appearance, but there's something attractive or commanding about them. Right. Uh, they live to 160 years. Uh, they all have dark vision and also the innate ability to cast the light cantrip, which means they don't fear the dark and they tend to bring light to it. They get resistance to both radiant and necrotic damage. So no matter what kind of deity you're dealing with, you have some innate protection. Right. Um, and then they also get healing hands, which means um, at a touch they can perform basically mir miracles, right? Like you, you can just heal somebody at a touch. Uh, that's pretty big. Like once per day, you know, like there you go here, have my level worth of hit points back. Like to a commoner, like that might literally save their life. Yeah. And remember this stacks with paladins lay on hands. So you're basically just doubling up if you happen to be an awesome paladin. And then each of the three variants of Asimar get plus one to a different ability score and then some form of once-per-day transformation. So there's a protector that gets plus one to wisdom, and then once per day for one minute, uh, you grow 
angelic wings, and then infuse your attacks with magic and radiant energy to deal extra damage when you attack. Yeah, that's the uh, radiant soul ability. Um, the Scourge Azamar gets plus one constitution and then radiant consumption. Uh, they basically turn themselves into a radiant fireball and run around setting everything alight. Um, so rather than wings, they shed radiant light and then um, burn everybody in a 10-foot radius, including themselves, each round. And allies. <laughs> Just remember <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> right. Um, plus, your attacks and magics are infused with that extra radiant energy for damage. And then there's the Fallen Asimar who gets plus one to strength and once per day can summon a necrotic shroud. So they, they become a ghastly visage and force charisma saving throws versus fear uh, within a 10-foot range. And then, of course, their attacks become magical and infused with extra necrotic energy, which is probably less useful than the radiant energy because many things are resistant to necrotic. Right. And also their, uh, their shroud is like a one-time fear save rather than like an aura. Right. But it's plus one to strength. I guess we're still overvaluing strength. Right. So let's talk about Azamar culture, or at least the culture surrounding Azamar, as it were. Yeah. So Azamar, depending on your lore, are either born into typically human cultures, or they uh, just sort of crop up randomly, depending on whenever a bloodline happens to sort of manifest itself uh, naturally. So the environment that they've been raised in and the culture that they identify with is going to be dependent on local customs and culture and where they were raised. Yeah, like Azamar are not a race without nations, right? The way that like sometimes like elves in the lands of men aren't really part of a kingdom. They're sort of uh, neighbors to a kingdom. Like, you know, uh, an Azamar could easily be born into a noble house or be born into a common family. Right. I mean, that might be a reason that you are a noble house, in fact. Every once in a while, you manifest an Azamar, and it's an obvious um, support of the fact that we say that we had a, a covenant with an angelic being 18 generations ago. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's some bit of culture around sort of what that means, right? Like, you might be, like you said, that might be the reason you're a noble house. It also might be a secret or lost knowledge. Um and and be like seen by that family like a miracle, right? Uh, it, it sort of depends on who your family is in a way. Uh, yo, um, my name's Mary. I know that I was betrothed, but I just want you to know this baby is an Asamar, uh-huh. uh and I did not cheat. Okay, checks okay. out. Um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Pretty universally, uh, Azamar tend to be seen as blessings, gifts from the gods, or some type of divine providence, right? So whether you're born into a long line of Azamar or you're born into, you know, a family who has just discovered this heritage, um, either way, it's kind of seen as a, a gift, right? Right, or divine providence or a sign. Uh, of right. course, this means that there you get plenty of cultural baggage that can be heaped on these kids from a very young age, depending on the society that they're in. And depending yeah. on how like common other Asamar might be. I mean, you could be the only one in an entire nation. Right. Um, and you're probably going to grow up your whole life being treated as the chosen one, um, either revered or feared or constantly being tested. Uh, you know, I can only imagine that um, an Azamar and like an elementary school is just going to have a bad time. <laughs> Assuming they're even allowed to go to elementary school and aren't just trained, you know, in a far off land by monks. Well, let's talk about that. That's a family tie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so think about um, the the like 
a baby who's born with a, a call, right? Or who's uh, born under like a, a particular like, star sign that comes around only once every few generations, you're probably getting like 10 times that amount of um, attention from everyone. Because of, of course, also everyone wants a grown Asamar on their side. Right. And the way to do that is to befriend a child Asamar. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they are though typically presented as human and angel hybrids you know human is sort of like the base race in most fantasy settings but right. other races could certainly produce asamar yeah so you know like a dwarf might consider the birth of an asamar as like a blessing for the whole clan right it's not just a family thing it, it becomes like a clan thing having having an asamar in your clan would be kind of an honor um, whereas like elves might consider an asamar a challenge or a tragedy Right, because they're going to die in 160 years. They're not going to live for 700 years the way the rest of of elves are. Right. Uh, we basically just got a half elf, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they might still respect sort of the provenance of it, though, right? So, rather than like, rather than just leaning into despair for this child, maybe like they have to stop what they're doing and like accelerate their timeline to prepare this child because they have a task that they have to do and they only have a, sh- a short time to do it right they have a quarter of the lifespan to to carry out whatever it is they're here for right and probably their quest begins in 16 years okay right <laughs> exactly <laughs> i do kind of like the idea that uh an elven society would look at an awesome an awesome and be like oh we have a time limit on this quest Right. <laughs> uh, we need the elders to, to come, come deal with this. Yeah. Obviously, they're the only ones with the experience. All right. So in the same way, family ties will mirror uh, the expectations of society and culture. But it is possible to have like a family of Asamar or a family that is known for producing many Asamar. Yeah, I would think that that family is probably going to be pretty close to each other, right? Because that's kind of a shared burden of your house. Um but you might have like conflicts that come out of the perspective of their various guides, right? Because like even celestials are not like hive minded, like in singular agreement over how to deal with things and and how to process morality. So, you know, like the head of household might have a Deva who has kind of shaped them into believing one thing. And then like her, daughter might have a deva who has a more radical point of view or, or maybe like a less radical point of view and and they're conflicting about that uh yeah <laughs> you can have like a planetar who's very lawful good and then you know you have a, a sibling or a, a cousin who's got like a, a cardinal or, or like a chaotic good brelani who's like mm, yeah no i think we should just kick in that door right <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna free everybody uh on that ship <laughs> This, this always ends up the same way. We always end up kicking the door. Can we just start with kicking in the door this time? <laughs> I I do also like the idea of over uh, generations, it is the same guide who is guiding members of a family down the line. Yeah. Right. So when, when I uh, advise your great grandmother, here's what we did. That That's an interesting take on it. Like there are, you know, 12 devas who advise this family and when one of them dies like the next child born to the family becomes an azamar so like you you are like your coming is known <laughs> right like uh the 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 moment that that some like one of the elders passes away like it is known that you will be reborn or maybe they don't know that person is gone and like 
your birth is the telling that like oh grandfather has passed mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know thousands of miles across the sea but still now we know his deva has come home this also makes me think of um james the brother of jesus was it james i think it was like <laughs> what is your relationship with uh, your non asamar sibling right <laughs> are they like this is great. I got to do whatever I wanted and nobody cared. Exactly. Or they're like, pay attention to me. Right. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> right. Uh, I I think you, you probably figured this out, but I became a fiend patron warlock. Duh. <laughs> I'm always your dark mirror. Right. And then I think the other way that, that you have it, right, when you're an unexpected Azamar in a family, like, those reactions might be very mixed, right? Of course, like you're a symbol of hope. So there's going to be that kind of joy and hope associated with a child and especially one who is born to do wondrous things and, and sort of like an iconic good for the world. Like, of course people are happy about that, but they might also be fearful, right? Like this child is going to bring attention and strife and like ne'er do wells who are going to come and try and murder your infant in its cradle. Yeah, I mean, if you're a parent who has who's now given birth to an Osmar child, it is quite likely you will die protecting this child. Like that is your role in its mission. Right. Um of course, just because you are a great or good creature, you might be born into an awful family. So many people are. They might want to exploit you and exploit your divinity. Right, the Oliver Twist scenario. Yeah. Everybody trusts you. Get out there. Right, exactly. Um, and then you mentioned it, like, who knows? Like, th- there might be various traditions within within a family or various plans within a family of how you actually raise an Azamar child. You might orphan them off to a religious order or a monastery or, you know, an, an order of knights. Um, you might try to secret them away to, like, remote family where their heritage won't be known you know like who knows where you actually grow up because this is kind of a disruptive event for a family mm-hmm. all right so let's talk about some interactions asamar might have the first of course would be with other asamar assuming that you ever meet any yeah uh i think first you're going to commiserate right like you you certainly share uh, a common experience in some ways and and few other people can understand the burdens that are placed on an azamar quite like another azamar mm-hmm. and even if you team up with a common goal you can end up being rivals right you're both going to do good but who's going to do the most good or who who is going to be the one who leads and will do good my way right there's a there's lawful good, and then there's prideful lawful good, right? <laughs> As for your friends and companions, you will probably keep close friends. You know, you are a, a creature of innate goodness. You recognize that you're not capable of doing every single thing and that you'll be able to go further together as a, as a team. Uh, of course, <laughs> you might instead prefer they keep their distance, knowing that you alone are in- are capable of incredible feats, and you can do them faster if you are alone. And you can split the difference here, where, you know, it's good to have a rogue along, and maybe you like working with a team, but emotionally you still keep them distant because you are so different in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, of course, uh, there's the old adage about, like, your goodness is measured by how you treat your enemies. So I think 
Um, whether you are sort of an iconic or a fallen Azamar, justice is going to be an important concept in the way that you deal with your enemies. Um, whether that is upholding justice or subverting it because you can, right? Like the idea that like you have to treat things fairly, um, that there is like kind of a decorum and respect, I think is probably natural to the goodness um, in Azamar. Right. Now, since you are not actually a divine creature and you are not physically bound by the tenets of a philosophy, you can choose to do whatever you want. You can choose to cut corners. You can be underhanded. You can lie. You actually might get the benefit of the doubt a lot of the times. People will assume that you're always telling the truth. People will take your word. Um, I like to think that in maybe a, a village, whatever you decide to do, that will be considered the moral and just thing to do because you are an emissary from the gods, they think. Right. Yeah, I, you don't have to be lawful stupid, um, and especially if being lawful good has previously um, like been used against you, right? You know, if, if the moral dilemma you just had to overcome was because the BBEG has decided to set the orphanage on fire and also, like, I don't know, drown the unwed mothers, like and you could only save one like cool the next time you face them like you're not going to stick around for a speech <laughs> like you're just going to stab them right like th that moment has passed i don't have to give you a chance at redemption i'm not an idiot <laughs> i hate monologues <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but of course that will probably still be a quick and clean death right you're probably not torturing people yeah you're yeah exactly as for strangers for people who don't know, they may actually think you are a literal angel, which has pros and cons. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> they might actually come up to you asking for blessings or miracles. And what if you can't offer them? Yeah, they might go so far as to make offerings of gifts or hospitality in return for things that you can't promise. Or things you can promise but can't deliver. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or likewise, like you, you mentioned earlier, like, maybe they just come to expect that from you. So just by virtue of walking into town, they expect that you will solve certain problems and that's just your job because that's who you are. Right. Why else would you be here? Right. If you are an emissary of divine providence, go kill all of the undead in the woods. Yeah. Like why, why else did you come to our village? There's no such thing as coincidence. Well, I, I needed to repair my armor because because uh, <laughs> in, in this game, uh, never mind. Fine, okay. I heard you had the third best smith in the in the country. <laughs> He's the best value, <laughs> right? <laughs> I I like the idea of people not understanding that you have finite resources. Mm -hmm. So, like, I can perform a miracle and heal you, peasant. I can do that once a day. Once, right? <laughs> Uh, and I already did that in the previous village. I was not expecting this. Right. <laughs> so then the question becomes, of course, what happens to those strangers if you cannot live up to their expectations? Like, even if they're unreasonable expectations, how do they treat you then? Right. Uh, very quickly, people will turn on even an angel if they uh, think they have been swindled or, or tricked or feel like they're being told that they're not worthy. Right. All right, so let's talk about some reasons for Azamar to go adventuring. It's what you're built for. You're born to do good. It's in your blood. Your blood is good. Go out there and do some good. It makes you feel good. I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you could just play type. <laughs> That's probably 90% of Azamar, right? I wish every Azamar I GM'd for was that Azamar. <laughs> uh, you might also be adventuring for personal glory. Like, doing good is fine and all, but look at how much people love you when you fix their problems. Like it's, it's about making me feel better. So I do good because that's the way that people recognize me. And what's wrong with that, right? You deserve it. Right. I mean, Hey, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with an extremely narcissistic Asimar. They're beautiful. <laughs> have you seen me? Have you seen my flowing golden locks? <laughs> On the flip side, you could be disgruntled and disillusioned. You know, maybe you feel like the world should aspire to be better than it is, but it's not. So you're tired of the spotlight. You're tired of all the people coming to you and knocking on your door and asking for help. You're tired of these expectations. You know you can't be perfect and you don't want to try to be perfect anymore. Yeah, but you do still have a um, particular set of skills, right? And it turns out that a lot of time spent adventuring is deep dark underground and dungeons with just a couple other people and far from society so maybe there's a degree of anonymity that comes with just adventuring yeah also since you're not a divine being you do need to eat mm-hmm. so that you do need to buy food <laughs> the mortgages do <laughs> but have you seen these wings i don't care <laughs> that worked the first three months right <laughs> um and then of course you might be a fallen azimar um, and, and you might lean into being evil as an Azamar, right? So something in your past has broken you, has made you break from divinity, and you're out to make the world hurt now. Like, you're out for one and one only, and that's me. Um, and I will use my power for my benefit as I see fit, not for society's expectations and certainly not for some blood ancestor who hasn't been around to help me anyway. Yeah. Uh, this can be, I think, maybe one of the most fun archetypes if you play it um as the wolf in sheep's clothing Mm -hmm. i am beautiful and everybody likes me and i will use it to my own advantage to the utmost yeah like you walk into town miracles here offerings 50 gold minimum (laughs) like prioritized by price (laughs) like let me just make a list and we'll start tomorrow and then in the night you flee (laughs) you know what angels use the monorail (laughs) all right so classes that are a natural fit for ozamar cleric paladin and of course divine sorcerer it is in your blood Mm -hmm. um because of the leaning into charisma as well as like the options of uh strength and con uh bard and warlock also of course work very very well especially for the maybe not quite playing it straight ozamar well, I mean, not every not every warlock is a is a fiendish warlock. It's true, you know. Fey, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, like I think Hexblade actually makes a ton of sense uh, for a warlock. Like you have a a, a family, and you have this sword, which is passed down to Azamar and our family, and that sword will guide you along with your Deva, and the three of you will go and do great things. Like you're a Hexblade now. I like great old one Azamar. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of gods out there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, like you have di- you have divine blood, and also everything is bullshit. <laughs> I speak celestial. Yeah. <laughs> and also, reality is a veil. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tear it back for you. Uh, races with a bonus to wisdom are relatively rare, uh, as long as you're not playing um, 
Eberron uh, Dragon March races. Right. <laughs> so Protector Ozamar actually makes a pretty good druid. Yeah, I mean, that's what I played for um, for Warden in um, Gates of Morning, right? So it's a, it's a perfectly viable build. And then the Scourge has uh, basically a, a built-in like thorns uh pain aura so if you're going to be in melee anyway right up against everyone you may as well murder them while you murder them yeah like <laughs> i like that is like the the supernova azimar of just like hey i've only got two spell slots i'm just gonna smite you to death <laughs> like there is no point in pretending i need to stick around after this so <sighs> light them up <laughs> i'm gonna take a nap after this <laughs> right <laughs> so in combat uh, you are less fearful of necrotic damage because you've got uh, that built-in resistance. So that's great for locking down pretty powerful undead who are usually just flinging around tons of necrotic damage. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned this earlier, like your radiant resistant also makes you like very indifferent towards a lot of divine creatures like celestials and stuff. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are fighting celestials for some reason, like you're actually well-equipped to kill the gods. Yeah, that's, maybe that's why I was born. Mm-hmm. For skills, uh, persuasion works really well, especially um, it leans into the roleplay aspects of your character uh, performance as well. It You don't necessarily need to fly with those wings, but sprouting them on stage is quite an effect. Yeah, and, and performance is not just like acting or, or playing music as well, right? Like it could be like oratory or like, you know, reciting poetry and, and things like that where like th- there's a big element of like um, clergy and like religious like proceedings um, that I think would accompany performance as a skill. So I think that makes sense. Yeah, reading liturgy. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to read it in that like kind of like – Oh. <laughs> Gregorian chants. <laughs> it's like, and the Mary said upon to Joseph, "Have a child. It is not yours. It is God's." Seriously, I didn't cheat. <laughs> Easily our most sacrilegious <laughs> bit yet. <laughs> and you might need some training in deception in order to appear not so obvious every single place you go. You probably aren't using it, though, to swindle, uh, you know, shopkeepers. Yeah, I mean, unless you're fallen, in which case, lean into it, baby. (laughs) Convince them you're a good Azamar and then steal all their stuff. As for magic items, uh, I think actually any sort of resistance items are really nice because you already have two resistances built in. So you're basically just sort of like collecting them. Okay, I, I, that can work for me. Um, <laughs> Holy Avenger is sort of the uh, the legendary, or maybe that's even an artifact where you know it is a divine sword. Like it just really leans into who better to wield it than somebody with that divine spark in their blood. Yeah, and I think pretty much any Azamar, no matter which path you trod down, no matter which sub race you are, will probably look at a Holy Avenger as. Uh, something to be coveted and, and eventually won, whether that's that's sort of a symbol that you have achieved what you uh, need to achieve or it's a subversion of, you know, gods who don't really care about you anymore. Yeah, like what is a holy avenger actually? Like if I can wield it, anyone can wield this. Right, and it's still extremely powerful. Right, right. So Ishan, have you ever played in Azamar? I have, but I think it was back in fourth edition so no then huh 
Or did you play with that feet? I was still calling it an Ozimar because okay. I remember them for 3.5. Um, when you always looked at them, but the plus one level adjustment was like, meh. This I, isn't I, worth I can it, get better yeah. things for a plus one. Yeah, nobody wants a, no one wants a core plus one level adjustment. Right, but I always, <laughs> you, lo- I always loved the idea of a half celestial. Um, and so, you know, this would give you like a, a playable half celestial, right? Um, so right. yeah, in, in 4E, actually, I did uh, play an Ozimar uh, briefly and... I think I think I played it straight, right? I, I just went uh, the whole goody two shoes route, um, trying to live up to expectations, and you know it was fun. I liked it. I obviously have this penchant for playing like religious or quasi religious characters for some reason, um, <laughs> and so like Azamar is the same thing for me, where like I like that burden being placed on them. Um, if I have to play a good character and like an inherently good character, I want to play the most good character. Um, and so I never got to play one until fifth edition, actually, just because like, same thing, like in, I didn't play fourth and then in third edition, like the cost was too high. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, um, but in fifth edition, it's easy to play. So I, I like that a lot. Um, and then of course, Warden was using the Azamar like, um, template as a half fay. So a little bit different. Yeah. But mechanically exactly the same. Right. Yeah. Mechanically bear with wings. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> bear with dragonfly wings which i highly recommend all right flying megafauna <laughs> all right do you hear that ishan hear the flap of that wing oh no it's the swarm of bears <laughs> <laughs> as they descend to feed upon our honey stores that's that's like one of those like change one word and change the or change one letter to change the meaning of a phrase yeah. like, swarm of bees become swarm of bears oh shit <laughs> time to move on to the character creation fortune figure out how we solve this problem money bees great <laughs> all right before we do that let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us we do love hearing from you you can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Knuckle Dragger, a unique action-oriented tabletop role-playing game that's built into a virtual tabletop it is one of the first of its kind and it is currently on kickstarter yeah so cool thing about knuckle dragger is it's built entirely for virtual tabletop so it has a like a bunch of unique stuff about it that's only capable through a virtual like medium so you've got like a unique combat system that's lightning fast uh even for like kind of atypical combat settings and scenarios hey that's great but a lot of games got get bogged down in non-combat situations so knuckle dragger has skill checks and challenges that are determined by fast mini games and the difficulty is determined by your pc skill in a particular area yeah i like this so the stronger you are the easier the strength challenge mini game is for you but you still have to play this little mini game within the virtual tabletop So the game is always going to have a free-to-play version, but for just $5, players will get access to a new expansion every single month. And that's on Kickstarter right now. If it sounds interesting, I checked out the campaign. It looks really, really cool. Um, this is this is that kind of like advance forward in uh, gaming technology and like you know uh, 
tabletop role-playing tech <laughs> that uh, I've been waiting for since Virtual Tabletop got released. So I, I think this is a really cool take on it. All right, check it out. Link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Earth Angel. Shane, tell us about the Earth Angel. Yeah, so the Earth Angel is an Azamar who is in tune not just with man, but also with nature. Lovely. A, a divine being who has been gifted upon the land to lead both nature and humanity into harmony and safety. It has dominion over uh, all the plants of the field. Yeah, that's right. And the creatures of the plains and the creatures of the cities. Of the, of the island and the swamp. and uh-huh. the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's the build? The build is Circle of the Shepherd Druid 14, Divine Soul Sorcerer 6. So from Druid, we get 7th level spells and a nice wild shape. You can fly, you can swim, you can crawl and burrow. Uh, at second level, you get Speak with Animals and Fey. Um, this is just an innate ability that isn't like psychic communication or anything. You just talk to them and they share information back with you. Don't worry about it. Uh, I would say we should make a Dr. Doolittle, but it's just Druid 2. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll get a Spirit Totem once per short rest. It creates a 30-foot aura. You've got Bear, Hawk, or Unicorn options. Bear will uh, give temp HP to uh, allies in the aura and advantage on strength saving throws. And strength checks. Um, Then Hawk will give you basically protection fighting style uh, for allies within the aura, so you can spend your reaction to impose disadvantage on an attack within that 30-foot aura, uh, and then grants grants anyone advantage on perception in the aura. And then with Unicorn, you've got advantage to detect creatures. I think you and allies. And then when you are healing, you restore your druid level hit points to creatures of your choice within the aura. You're an excellent healer. Yeah. So like you spend a bonus action to healing word and then you just activate automatic healing for all of your allies in your aura up to half your druid level. Like that's a pretty cool little boost. Of course, maybe you're just healing the summoned creatures that you've you've brought to play rather than uh, the other players. <laughs> yeah, because at level six, you get Mighty Summoner that's going to buff all the creatures you summon with plus two hit dice and magic attacks. At 10, you get Guardian Spirit. Your summoned creatures regain half your druid level and HP each time uh, they end their turn inside your spirit guardian aura, which is a big aura. Yeah. And then at 14th level, you get Faithful Summons. So this is basically a contingency of a ninth level Conjure Animals to guard your body if you are dropped to zero hit points or incapacitated, and it doesn't disappear when you come back on your feet. So somebody heals you, and then all of a sudden you just keep your ninth level Conjure Animals uh, running concentration free. That's right. Uh, Turn one, I stab myself in the heart. (laughs) it does it does say uh the incapacitated says it has to be um unwillingly incapacitated but it doesn't say you have to intentionally stay above zero hit points (laughs) my mute my uh my guide was like no no don't do it it's like and i gave i gave my guide a dirty look and stabbed (laughs) oh i handed my guy my guide a dagger and they stabbed me and i was like no okay fine All right, Sorcerer, you get third-level spells from either the Sorcerer or the Cleric spell list and a bonus Cleric spell known. Uh, You will also get Favored by the Gods, which gives you plus 2d4 to a failed attack or saving throw once per short rest. You'll get Sorcery points and Metamagic. I I think I like 
quicken heal here because you are using um your action to wild shape so, so if you need to you can drop a spell quickly turn into an animal and then bug off yeah um especially animals that have high uh constitution to help you make your concentration checks mm-hmm. um, and then at sixth level you will get empowered healing so when you or an ally within five feet of you rolls healing dice you can spend a sorcery point and re-roll any number of them so i think i would probably start druid six to get mighty summoner and then third level spells and then uh, dip into sorcerer so you you really feel like you've got sort of both sides of that heritage and then finish out druid yeah you might go all the way to druid seven uh before switching to sorcerer but either way i think that's about right all right ishan who is your earth angel so my earth angel is the youngest twin so she was born an Asimar, and her identical twin sister was not. Mm-hmm. However, uh, the thing that confuses the entire family is that why was it not the older child? And this has caused a rift with her sister because, of course, her sister grows up thinking, I was the oldest. It should have been my birthright. But that's been, like that's an arbitrary birth difference. It's like two minutes earlier. But the, the, the cultural expectation, right, is that it, it goes to the older one so there's there's a sense of like was the older sister passed over not chosen not worthy and nobody knows nobody really knows why but uh, my earth angel has been sort of saddled with this this burden of a a family member who is sort of a a dark mirror but who uh has always hated her and and been jealous of her abilities and power and so of course what does she do she spends time out in the woods in the the wilderness talking with the the beasts and the animals and and fey creatures who befriend her who don't find her all that weird oh okay you are a divinely touched mortal that's fine i have goat legs (laughs) (laughs) And together we shall form a party and, and venture forth to uh, fix fix this world, both uh, the natural and, and the human. Okay. <laughs> All right, Shane, what about your Earth Angel? Uh, so my Earth Angel is uh, an outcast, uh, a hermit. Perhaps like has a very, very weak Azamar bloodline um, that didn't really come to manifest itself until much later. Um, so he was cast out from his house because uh, he was not an Azamar in an Azamar house. And he became a shepherd, a, a literal druid of the land. And it wasn't until his kind of divine blood started like opening up to his power that he began to really manifest his Azamar traits. So the divine soul sorcerer not only like gave him you know magical power but it also sort of like unlocked his heritage and the power you know within his blood that kind of truly made him become an azamar of his family so he was a squib to begin with but then just hanging around enough magic yeah like the runt of the litter you know but now i have 20 class levels which means i'm even more powerful than all of you who never went adventuring <laughs> right you cast me out and i had no choice but to become strong <laughs> and friendly with animals cuz they're so cute strike me down and i shall have so many animal companions <laughs> i shall have four cr2 guardians watch over my body 
All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And just a reminder, we're getting frighteningly close to that Forgotten Realms campaign setting episode at, at the $300 goal. Dun, 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 dun. All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about underwater adventures and in the character creation forge we're building the siren song well that's it for episode 239 of total party thrill i hope we lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening total party thrill is brought to you by fish in the pot and the characters collection fresh off the success of the one page dungeon collection and just in time for zine quest 2 fish in the pot has a brand new kickstarter campaign that is live right now Yep, going back, fish in the pot character collection and get a 20-page zine packed with quirky characters ready to use in your game. The collection includes merchants, artisans, scoundrels, thinkers, celebrities, professionals, and scallywags, all with loads of personality packed into their quick-to-read descriptions. I want a single NPC. Who is all of the above? I mean, Jared Leto. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. Go pick it up. Uh... Check out some cool characters, maybe get inspired, write a, an adventure that will uh, take full advantage of these um, awesome personalities and, and sort of characters that have been created in the Fish in the Pot characters collection. So check it out. Link in the show notes.